1: Badger fans, and welcome to another edition of Bucky's 5th Podcast. As always, Tyler Hunt and Matt Bells here covering everything Wisconsin athletics. On today's show, we'll recap the Badgers' latest contest uh, on the basketball court. Unfortunate loss for them uh, to Michigan State Friday evening, so we'll kind of dive into that, talk about what, uh, what went right and uh, what went wrong for the Badgers in that contest. So, an unfortunate loss, but certainly some things to take and gain from that as the team moves forward and continues to get into Big Ten plays. We'll talk about everything from that contest. And then in the back half of the show, we've got some football news to discuss. Of course, we've got the coaching rumors that we've kind of, it seems like we've been talking about for a couple weeks now, in terms of the offensive line coach and the, of course, new offensive coordinator, which has now been a position that has been posted and out there. Wisconsin is certainly looking, and they've got their top choice picked out if it ends up being That and in fact, Bobby Ingram will certainly talk about that. But right now, it still seems like it's kind of in that rumor mill situation. But we'll get into everything um, that's came and kind of developed in that situation over the past few days. Because I know we've we've talked about these two spots and in pretty much every episode, just kind of waiting for that official uh, confirmation. But for right now, we'll continue to kind of build on what's been uh, some strong rumors coming out in that circuit. And then uh, after that, we'll talk about some depth chart positions. Uh, we're going to dive into some outside linebacker talk, and we'll also wrap up some special teams talk as we kind of head into next year. So it should be a nice episode
0: for you guys to start your week off. Matt, how are you this morning? Doing great. Got to, got to shovel this morning at about 5.30, so uh, <laughs> feeling good, feeling great. Ready to talk a little badgers. How are you doing, man? Good, good. Got the, the body loose, and hopefully
1: you shook off. Uh, what was a tough, tough weekend for, uh, for Wisconsin and, and Badger or <laughs> Packer fans across the state after a ugly, ugly loss. Thankfully, we've had a day to purge it and the, the NFL games, while tough to watch when your team gets eliminated on Saturday, it was still a pretty great, uh, Sunday with those two, uh, divisional games there, uh, being quite entertaining. So hopefully everyone was able to purge that Packer game from their system and make this Monday morning not as rough, but the weekend was kind of rough in general, and it started with this Wisconsin basketball team taking on Michigan State. Uh, of course, came into this game uh, a huge contest. Both of these teams were atop the Big Ten standings with one loss, so this game was really going to put one team in the driver's seat. And, of course, Michigan State's got a tough contest coming up with Illinois, so you thought, man, if Wisconsin could pick up this win, it'd be huge for them moving forward. But the big news to start the game, and, and I think it was part of the you know uh, news piece that really affected the Badgers throughout this entire game was Tyler Wall, unfortunately out in that contest with a lower uh, leg ankle injury um, that he suffered in that Northwestern game, was not able to give it a go, and just with without his presence, it, it just this team kind of felt like a completely different team. He's been playing his best basketball, so it was really tough for him to not get a chance in that moment. But just how big of a blow was it, you know, for, for this team to not have that presence in there in this game against Michigan State? Yeah, I mean, it
0: was absolutely huge. Um, he's been playing his, his best basketball his career. Really looking back since Nickel State, um, he, he's been playing really well. Or I guess you could say since that Ohio State game where he was under the weather. I mean, since then, 12 points, 18 points, 6 points, 16 points, 21, 20, 14, um, And he was hitting the boards, playing really assertive on the offensive end. So to not have him... Um, And his presence on each end, like he does so many of the little and big things for this team that not having him on the court against the front line that um, Michigan State brings, which is really experienced and really long, Wisconsin struggled. There's no depth behind their starting five. Um, Wisconsin has relied on their starting five all year long outside of Chris Vogt you haven't seen major minutes from from a lot of these guys. I mean, you can look at it. Lauren Bowman is the next up as your kind of your seventh guy, and he's only averaging 10 minutes a game. Like, you're not seeing somebody. It's not like Johnny Davis last year where he was playing nearly starter minutes. They don't have that. So I think you're looking right now at um, they ran into a team that played well. Wisconsin was down one of their best players. Um, and they didn't have an answer, and I, I know it was a frustrating game, but really it was one that it's good that was going to be a tough game either way, especially when you're when you're out one of your top players. I just don't think that Wisconsin going into that had much of a chance without Tyler Wall because um, nothing against Ben Carlson or Carter Gilmore, but they had no shot against what Michigan State had in their front court. They they are not nearly far along to a point where you. Want to trust either of them with twenty plus minutes going up against guys who've played in the Big Ten for multiple years um, and have multiple inches on you, multiple pounds on you, and of strength that they just don't have right yet. And it's hopefully it'll come, um, but right now that was a game that definitely exposed that. I think. Yeah,
1: I mean, you look at those two, just you know, and, and Gilmore and, and Carlson, just really no matchup for what Michigan State had in the, in the front court, and, and that's not, like I said, it's not a knock on them. The, coming into the season, you would have never wanted those two to be in that position as you work through, you know, but you were obviously ex- expected to have Tyler Wall uh, in that position, and when there's an ankle injury, somebody else has got to step up, but you can't you <laughs> can't sit here and expect. Um, that either of those guys are going to come in and, and be able to handle and give you huge minutes. Maybe certain contests, you know, if they were able to go, if this situation was going against Northwestern, now they've got some length as well. But you know, Nebraska coming up, situations like that, maybe you can hold your own. But against a team like Michigan State, who are very talented in the front court, but also really well coached, to know, hey, they don't have one of their best interior guys. So we're going to go at them down low, which is what they they did. I mean, Michigan State did a lot of good things on the offensive end. Um, but really they dominated in the paint, on the boards. They they just seemed to get second-chance opportunities because they were grabbing rebounds, um, plus, 19's on, plus 19 on the boards for Michigan State. So their forwards were just all over the court making plays, and you know, Tyler Wall, it would have been a really interesting game to see how this game shook out with Tyler Wall in there, but without him, it was just a really tough hill and I think battle to overcome with, you know, I think if you look at the starting five of this Wisconsin basketball team, Of course, with Johnny Davis, we've seen when he's not been able to go, what this team looks like, but they've still been in a contest. If Brad Davison wasn't able to go, I think you could survive the storm, but a guy like Tyler Wall, who's a big interior presence, a guy that just does so much on both ends of the floor, that that he might be the toughest to replace uh, in terms of injury and trying to find that production from other spots. And, And it was clear to that on Friday that he's a piece that Wisconsin, if they want to you know, win a lot of games, compete for the Big Ten, um, and, and you know, go deep into March, he's the guy that they're going to need because he's he just does so many different things well. And he was kind of at the peak of his play uh, over these last couple weeks heading into
0: this contest. So it was really a tough blow to not have him out there. Yeah, absolutely. And and you would hope that Carlson would be further along in his development as a guy that could give you those minutes and and hold his own play well enough to do it. But he didn't. Right? Like, I think that was pretty obvious. Um, Carter Gilmore, I, he's a walk-on, right? Like, he, he's a walk-on. It's, it's, he shouldn't be out there as much as he has had to be. Um, I think he has shown that. Um, but you just gotta hope that they continue to develop. Um, and that wall is back as soon as Thursday when they've got their next game here. But, This was a game that Michigan State dominated across pretty much everything. Wisconsin shot better at the free throw line, and that's about the only statistic you can point to and say Wisconsin was better there. And the only reason was Michigan State also got to the line, though, 28 times. They were were very aggressive getting to the basket. Um, Say what you want about referees, but the referees weren't the difference of 12 points here in this game. Wisconsin shot the ball, finished shooting over 40%, um, and shot 60% in the second half but they just didn't play a lick of defense. Like Michigan State was able to run on them. They had 21 fast break points. They, Their bench, everybody was scoring. Like they shot over 50% in the first half. They shot over 50% um, for the game. This, this was just an effort that they completely waxed the Badgers, and Wisconsin didn't have any answers. Brad Davidson even talked about it in the second half. He said, or I mean, in a post game, he said, "If we don't play defense, like we're not going to win these games." Like they and they didn't. They they really struggled with the transition game and getting back. Um, and they just kind of never were able to turn it around. That deep hole that they built after they got an 8-0 run to start the game, built on four turnovers by mm-hmm. Michigan State. From there, the avalanche hit, mm-hmm. and Michigan State just kind of slowly won over this game and kind of um, just took over. Um, Johnny Davis, Brad Davison, they did well. They 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 were 16-32, 50% shooting. They did everything you could to, to win this game. Uh, but there just wasn't anybody else coming to help them out. I know Chucky Hepburn struggled a little bit um, on both ends of the court. i thought got Stephen Crowell. He's still got to be more aggressive. You want to see that from him. He had nine points, but um, I, I think just – if he would have been a little bit more aggressive on the offensive end at times where he wasn't hunting his shot, I think that would have helped. But, but really, it, it comes down to, and it's going to continue to come down to, this team is built on their starting five. Their bench is, is not there right now. I, you you want a guy like ja, Jacoby Neath, um, who gives mm-hmm. you a little bit of versatility to, to get healthy and, and get right, but he, he's still kind of working his way back. But, I mean, bench points-wise, Michigan State scored – 43 of their 86 points, so half of their points off the bench. Wisconsin, seven. Like, there's there's nothing there. Um, Chris Vogue didn't give them what the he, normal he does off the bench. He was dealing with some foul trouble. And, and they just didn't get the help that they needed from their bench and from the guys stepping up for, um, for Tyler Wall being out to, to win this game. And Michigan State took advantage. Yeah, they certainly did. I mean, you talk about it, this, you know, we've talked about the
1: bench for, you know, it seems like every time we do a recap, that's kind of a thing that we bring up is that the bench needs to do more, you know, need need a little bit more from the bench in terms of scoring and production. And I don't know if you're ever really going to get that. I think you're now looking at the, the the way this team is built. You've got five, you've got six that you can go to. You've, you've got, you know, seven and, and vote that you can ask to do. But but no one in that five, six, seven, eight range are guys that are going to come in and and give you uh, a spark in terms of scoring. You know, Chris Boat's a guy that's a big body, can get in there on the glass, can play defense as as a big, but you're not going to expect him to give you a ton of points. But someone off that bench, you would hope, is is eventually going to be able to find their way into minimal production, but right now they just don't have it, and that's going to be you know, that's just how the roster is. It's not like you can just call somebody else up and and uh, and make these decisions and, and get all of a sudden you know, some scoring. It's going to come down to the way the starting five plays. And, and when you're shorthanded without one, that puts an even bigger hamper on this team. But, you know, even if Tyler Wall is in there, and, and certainly it would help you know, on the offensive end, it would help on the defensive end. But I think even the rest of the starting five, as he mentioned, did not play you know, Wisconsin basketball-level defense. And I think that... You know, you can could, you could point to the, you know, like you, you can point to the refs, but that wasn't a difference. You can point to Tyler Wall. That's, of course, a, a major difference. But even if he's out there, the way this team played defense as a whole, I mean, they're not going to win basketball games playing that way. The, Michigan State was able to do really whatever they wanted. They were able to get the ball up and down the court and kick it out and, and just go. And, and Wisconsin didn't have an answer for it. I mean, if you're allowing 86 points, you know, Wisconsin basketball historically – Games played into the 80s, probably not a situation where you're going to come away with victory. Wisconsin needs to. They played a little bit more tempo this year. They played a little bit faster, but you still want this team, even if they're playing quicker on the offensive end, to be sharp on the defensive end. That's the way this team is going to win games, and they just did not play well enough to, um, especially a talented Michigan State team that, again, is well-coached and and can get out and and do so many things well. If you're not playing your best defensively uh, against a team like that, you're gonna get you're gonna get beat, and and you saw that Badgers play better in, in the second half, and, and they shot all right. You know the numbers like you mentioned are, are still certainly there, but if, if you don't have things tight on that defensive end uh, from the get go, that's gonna be a situation we're gonna be in trouble out of the game.
0: Yeah, it, the game reminded me a lot of the Illinois State game where Wisconsin kind of narrowly um, got that victory at the Kohl Center, but. Where Illinois State was able to run on them, get inside not only with the slashing with their guards, but also their front court players, and Wisconsin was able to eke away a win there. This was a team that's obviously about two times better, and the result was they weren't able to take advantage on the offensive end enough to to overtake that. But I think the Badgers are just fine. You look at their next couple of contests here. You've got Nebraska and Minnesota. That is that is a, a nice um, way to hopefully. Um, give yourself a couple games to, you know, get that net crack before you have to go to Champagne to play Illinois. So, I, hopefully, Wisconsin can take care of business. That Nebraska game uh, has been moved from Tuesday to Thursday, um, just because of COVID stuff going on in Nebraska's locker room. But Thursday at four, Wisconsin's got to take care of business there. They got to come back to the Kohl Center on Sunday with a quick turnaround uh, and and take down Minnesota, but but I think Wisconsin's going to be just fine. You've got to think that Tyler Wall is going to be back here soon. It doesn't seem like it's something that's going to be a long-term lingering thing, but you never know.
1: Yeah, yeah, that certainly would be a situation to keep an eye on as he works back. And then, yeah, this team will hopefully have a, will now have a couple of days here with this game, not take, you know, tipping off till Thursday to hopefully tighten some things up defensively, get some things figured out and uh, be ready for that contest Thursday afternoon at Nebraska, uh, 4 p.m. Central time start um, for that one. So it should be a, a fun contest to see how they bounce back. And then I just ventured a nice venture quick turnaround to take on Minnesota on Sunday. All right, that wraps up kind of our basketball talk. So why don't we go ahead, we'll get our ad reads out of the way now, and then we'll hop into some football discussion. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to stay for it? That's where Bank of America can help. Over the last couple of weeks, but now it's starting to look like things are uh, getting t- closer towards official. I think uh, until we see the official report from UW, we're still kind of working on it. these are reports and, uh, and everything like that. But according to um, a couple different outlets, Bob Bosa is expected to take over as offensive line coach once again. You know, we've talked about that in the last couple episodes that he was the prime choice, and it makes too much sense for him not to take that spot back over. It now sounds like that is, in fact, the case. So we'll start there because then that leads to the offensive coordinator position. Bob said coming back to the offensive line, what do you make of it? How do you think that will uh, work out for the Badgers to get him back in that position? I think sometimes people forget that he was there before and had a tremendous amount of success. So him moving back, I think, will be hopefully
0: a nice spark for the Badgers. Yeah, I love it. Um, we we talked about it. I mean, we when we had our Wednesday podcast, it the news came out about two hours after it dropped, um, which is of course how podcasting works all the time. But um, I I think we we said that it was a matter of time of if or uh, of when, not if, for Bob Bosted becoming the offensive line coach and. Um, looking at it, he's got a tremendous resume that you look back years and years of experience coaching the offensive line back, dating back to I, I think predates you being born, Tyler. Like, because awesome. 1990 is, yep. is yep. yeah, 94 so, right here. So <laughs> yeah, so he you you've got a guy who's been coaching the offensive line for a, a really long time, switched over um, out of uh, necessity to to the inside linebacker room since 2017, and we've only seen just how good that inside linebacker room has been under his tutelage. So I think Wisconsin did the right thing here. They, they bopped him over. I think he's going to probably be your run game coordinator too, um, has experience doing that with the Badgers. Um, but he brings NFL experience. He brings collegiate experience. I think just his the way that he goes about coaching the position, the toughness that he instills, um, I think is going to be a, a really nice way to attack the talent in this room and, and push them because you look at guys like Logan Brown, it's now or never time. And if there's a person that's going to be able to push you into a corner and say, let's do this, it's Bob That if you've ever talked to him. Very nice guy, but he is also an intimidating force. So, so most I think that's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like like he's a, he's a guy that can definitely bring that out. So I think that this is a, a really big Shift in the program that I think not only is going to reverberate um, to that offensive line, but also to the entire offense. Because I think just the way that he attacks things, I think sends a message. And you saw, I mean, you saw the two inside linebackers; they set the tone for that defense um, the past few years. It's I think it's going to be the same thing where you're getting back to hopefully Wisconsin offensive lines being the the kind of the propeller to keep this offense going um, because we've seen the offense has not been in what we thought it would be the past two years. This is a shift that I think could help get closer to where um, Wisconsin and Paul Chris wants it to be. Yeah, I totally agree. I think when you look
1: at Bob Bost, he's like you mentioned, an intimidating figure for sure. You can see just kind of sometimes, sometimes he's smiling, but sometimes uh, (laughs) you'll see him, you know, I remember in um, the spring media availability he just kind of looked like he was ready to, you know, be done with the interviews, be done with the talking and, and go out and, and coach football. And he's kind of had that, that scowl and that not meanness, but just that look that is, you know, a dominating presence and should be able to go into that Wisconsin offensive line room and and really coach some toughness. I think when you think back to when he was, of course, the offensive line coach before with Wisconsin, he was really a presence that I think that group was Of course, incredibly physical and and strong and powerful, but they were also just they kind of had that meanness, that tenacity that you want on the offensive line, that nastiness. And I think they can get this group back to that. You know, of course, Joe Rudolph had his own uh, methodology, and and he did a tremendous job in the offensive line as well. But I think Bob Bowls had come in and kind of putting that culture back into the Wisconsin offensive line room is certainly a way that you could look at and say, okay, this group can can really take it back to the level that Wisconsin football wants it to get to. You know, this, this group has not you – know, it's had its ups and downs the last couple of years, And and but I, but I think we can all sit here and agree that based on the group this team has going into next year with some veterans back, you're going to have some younger guys you know, working into their second year. You're in the two deep. You'll probably have some young guys that haven't had a ton of experience. So getting this position in place and, and getting them working under him Right now, I think will be huge for this team as they move forward because the longer they wait on on nailing this position down and nailing the offensive coordinator position down as we get to um, that we'll get to here in just a second, the the more the less time you have when you actually you know get to work with these guys. So I think Bosted taking back that offensive line room is is a huge positive, and I'm excited to see what you know him being back on the offensive side with Chris and possibly a new offensive coordinator, what that means and what this you know kind of group can get back to with Wisconsin football because we've seen when, you know, those two are working together, Wisconsin had some really explosive offenses and and I think they could certainly – I'm not going to sit here and say they're going to be those teams that were winning uh, Big Ten championships and then really just running all over the place. It's going to take some time to build back up. But I think having that brainchild essentially in there to to hopefully get this offense back uh, moving the way they want to go is is certainly –
0: it's a possibility on the horizon to get back to that point. Absolutely. I mean, you look back at the players that he helped get to the NFL, and it's a it's a it's a huge list. Like mm-hmm. from that those his time at Wisconsin along the offensive line from um, 2006 to 2011. Um, it's I mean you you can fill out an entire offensive line room in the NFL if, if you kind of aggregate them together. That was a he he just continued to pump out good offensive lines hopefully Wisconsin can get back there because there's talent in that room. There's no Joe Rudolph has, has done a phenomenal job of recruiting that position the past um, three or four years. Now it's a, a matter of developing these guys and getting to a point where they're doing what their star rating says they should be doing. And there was times where the, you saw glimpses and where guys were, were playing well, but it's about getting that cohesion together that this offensive line is going to look across anybody. They're not And they don't have those games against a team like Penn State or Michigan or Notre Dame where they're kind of overwhelmed up front at times and, and can't run the ball. Because Wisconsin, when they can't run the ball, is, is not Wisconsin. Like that offense is built on running the ball, and hopefully they can get back to that under both dead. Yeah,
1: but certainly uh, fun to watch as he gets back and takes over that room. Of course, we'll wait for the official, official word, but as we've seen from multiple outlets, again, expected to take over as UW's mm-hmm. offensive line coach. It will certainly be fun to watch that position and see how it blooms. Up next, of course, we've got the other rumor that's kind of going around, um, and according to kind of like we talked about the last couple episodes again. Bobby Ingram is reportedly Wisconsin's top choice uh, for the offensive coordinator position. So the, to me, it sounds like if he wants that job, it's going to be his toward the taking. Um, it seems like you've got a situation where I think Wisconsin wants somebody that they're comfortable with. Of course, him and Paul Chris have worked together. Uh, so it makes a ton of sense. It's just more so maybe waiting and, and ironing out uh, the, the final steps of this position. And, and of course, if the other – thing in the air is if he for some reason doesn't want it, that's kind of something that could hinder it in many different ways. So in terms of, before we get into what it means, do you want to give just the listeners, I know we've kind of talked about it before, but do you want to just give a rundown of of who Bobby Ingram kind of is, where he's been, what he's done, um, and why Wisconsin's kind of interested in him
0: as their top choice for this position? Yeah, um, you know, going back to um, even college career, he won the Blitnikoff Award um, with with Penn State, um, so he was a tremendous player. Uh, ended up playing for the Bears, which I, I'm sure Packer fans are gonna be like, that. but then he he went on to the Seahawks, played played a, a few more seasons in the NFL. But he was a multi-year um or a guy who stuck around in the NFL for over a decade. Then he went directly into coaching um with with Pitt. I mean, he he started off with the 49ers, um, but then went to Pitt under Paul Crist. Paul Crist hired him to be his wide receivers coach. He was there for a couple of years, and then when about the time that Paul Crist came back to Wisconsin, Bobby Ingram ended up with the Baltimore Ravens, where he's been since 2014. So he he's been a wide receivers coach for four or five years, and then he's also been the Baltimore Ravens tight ends coach as well for a couple of years now. Here, um, helped bring along a guy like Mark Andrews, um, who who is you know one of the better tight ends in the NFL right now, a younger guy who who's kind of, you know, really blown up here of late. But you, you look at it, he, he does not have play calling experience. So he, he has been a wide receivers coach and a tight ends coach. But for one of the most consistent and well-run organizations in the entire NFL, right? The, the Ravens have consistent mm-hmm. success over the time that he's been there. It hasn't been where they've had huge ebbs and flows. Like, this has been one of the best organizations out there. Um, and while he hasn't called called plays, you've also seen coaches from that Baltimore Ravens tree go on and, and kind of help turn around things. I, I think of Michigan here recently with McDonald kind of bumped over there. And, and boom, Michigan sees a much better offense. No, that's not the only reason. But looking at this, I think he's a guy that brings a tremendous amount of experience, knowledge. His He is um, the father of Dean Ingram, who's a Wisconsin cornerback. He played a bunch of nickel this past year. Um, he's also the punt returner. So there's a lot of familiarity here. Um, I, I think one thing that he brings that is should not be overlooked is um, – he, as a recruiter, he recruited really well at Pitt for the, the the short time he was there. You look at a guy like Tyler Boyd, um, um, who has been in the NFL ever since his time with Pitt, um, and it was somebody that Wisconsin was after that I'm still kind of you know upset that they didn't actually offer him. But you then go to um, where he's actually from, that um, DMV area, recruiting-wise, could help him out. There, um, and he's, I should say, he's born from South Carolina, but lived in, in that uh, uh, DMV area for so long here. I would think that there's a lot of good connections. His, his kid went to school there, too, that can help out Wisconsin in their recruiting department. Something that we've talked about at nauseum here, that they're replacing their department. So having a guy like him um, definitely should help them on the, on the trail. Yeah, I mean, you look at
1: and Bobby Ingram, a tremendous football career as a player, as a coach, at all levels. You know, played really well in college, played, you know, hung around in the pros, and then vice versa with, with coaching ranks. You know, coaching in college, coach at the pro level. And as you mentioned, there's not a more stable organization in, in the NFL than the Baltimore Ravens in terms of success and, and putting out personnel that they feel really good about. So I think a tremendous hire for Wisconsin, I, I think he does help you in the recruiting circuit. I know, I've seen, I'm glad you mentioned it, I know people have talked about, I think their reaction online is, okay, but but has he called plays before, or oh no, he hasn't called plays before, and and that's certainly true, but I think you also can look at it and go, just because Wisconsin's bringing in an offensive coordinator, you would think that it would get to a point where he calls the plays, but it doesn't necessarily 100% mean that Paul Chris is going to give that up. I know we've talked about that before on the show, but and and there's still certainly a lot on Paul Kerr's plate with with being the head coach, being the quarterback's you know kind of overseer, not official title, but he's the guy that's working with the quarterbacks and then calling the plays. It is a lot, so you would think if you're bringing in an offensive coordinator, you want to have them maybe take some of that load off, but it doesn't necessarily mean that 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 it has to be that situation. So certainly I think it's a situation where he could come in and he could bring some ideas and, and really help revitalize this offense. But Paul Chris could still be the guy that that's making the calls. We won't know what that situation is. I'm guessing even if Bobby Ingram is hired, someone will ask it and, and Paul Chris will give his classic, you know, kind of work around the question because they're gonna still try and feel it out. But I would think those conversations are things that they're going to have and and work through and and that might be part of the decision making on Bobby Ingram's end as well. But you're looking at a guy that's had a tremendous amount of experience, you know, playing, coaching, and I think could could certainly take over play calling duties and 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 hopefully has success moving forward there. Just because he hasn't doesn't done that doesn't mean that uh, that he can't. So I'm interested to see if it gets to that point and, and how that kind of works out. But in terms of pedigree and resume uh, from a guy like Bobby Ingram it's hard to look out and, and see other candidates and, and find a guy with more quality experience at the collegiate level and at the pro level. And I think Wisconsin would be lucky to have a guy like him uh, entering their ranks as a coach and the coaching staff.
0: Yeah. And Wisconsin has really made an effort here of late to bring in guys with NFL experience on their coaching mm-hmm. staff. You look at Bobby Inge- April, you look at Bob Bosted, holy crap, they're going to have a lot of Bobs, but um <laughs> But you're bringing in a lot of guys. Gary Brown here. Lots of guys with NFL experience. You can also talk about Elvis Whitted. Like they are, that has been something that Paul Crest has made, um, a concerted effort for. It looks like, um, and, and you've got a defensive coordinator who played in the NFL for a long, long time. So that's a selling point for recruits as well, which I think is going to, to resonate. And I, 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 I agree with you that. I think Paul Christ is going to probably still call plays or have a hand in play calling, especially early on. But hopefully this is something where um, Bobby Ingram can be developed and eventually kind of take over that role to to help. But I do think that regardless, he's going to bring in to some fresh ideas, some some new um, wrinkles to, to help kind of invigorate this offense a little bit, especially as in the passing game. I, I think run game, that's going to be – fairly similar to what we've seen. Um, I, I think really with Bob Bosteg coming in, your run game coordinator, I'm guessing that'll be fairly similar. But in the passing game where things need to be kind of tweaked and, and shifted here, I think you're going to see some some new concepts, some new wrinkles that are that will help with not only tight ends but wide receivers given his experience there. Um, and, and I think that leads into a really interesting next point is you're bringing him in, that rounds out um, your your – coaches here, like, because that would give you the correct number of coaches because you lost one with with uh, um, with Joe Rudolph, you're replacing him with, with Bobby Ingram, but then where does Bobby Ingram fit in as a position coach? Because most of the time you're not just going to bring in an offensive coordinator yeah. to just be an offensive coordinator, right? Like, uh, so, like, what are some scenarios that you can think of that maybe um, where might Bobby Ingram fit into the picture and how might that adjust some of the other Pieces of the coaching staff.
1: Yeah, I think when you look at it, you know, I think you look at Bobby Ingram. You coach the tight ends um, with with Baltimore, and it would seem like a situation where he could maybe take that room over. And you know, I don't. I think we've talked about this a little bit already, but um, Mickey Turner, who's the current tight ends coach, could certainly shift into a recruiting role. I think if if a guy like Mickey Turner, if anyone, if anyone listeners have ever talked to him or heard him speak. He's probably a guy that you'd love to have uh, as like a face of recruiting type guy. Uh, very well-spoken. Just if he was coming into your living room to pitch your uh, parents on get selling a school, um, he's the guy that I think could go in there and do that really well. So if you look at it just based on past experience, I think that would make a ton of sense for maybe Ingram to shift into there and Mickey Turner to shift into a, a more recruiting role and, um, Will that work out? Because the other position that he's, of course, coached is, is wide receiver. But when you look at Elvis Witted is kind of the guy that you just brought in to coach that room. So I can't imagine you're going to want to make much change there. So in terms of all these moving pieces, you know, you kind of moved Bobby April to the linebackers as a whole, both said the offensive line. It's just kind of all these shifts so far, if Bobby Ingram is in fact the guy, have made a lot of sense. And I think when you look at if you want him to take over as a position coach, that to me seems like the most likely outcome just given his experience of coaching. You know, you just mentioned it with Mark Andrews. He's coached top-level talent in the NFL, and you certainly want that in a room. And if you have to have him coach one, not, this isn't a knock on Mickey Turner or anything like that, as, as he's been a very good tight ends coach. But I think he could help you in other areas, and, and it just makes, like a I think, a seamless transition if he were to take over that tight ends room as well.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, I'm not going to say there's no chance that, Paul Crist wouldn't pull the plug on Elvis Wooded right away, I guess. Um, I I know that that recently happened with, uh, the Packers where he was gone after one year. Um, but I, I just, I don't know if that's in Paul Chris. I think it's more likely that he's going to try to figure out a way to, to keep everybody on staff. I mean, he hasn't officially fired anybody. I still think there's a pretty good chance he's asked a few guys within the past five years to, to maybe look elsewhere. But, um, I do think that's another possible path. I agree with you that I think, I mean, if they're willing to spend the money to to make it so that um, Mickey Turner is is still making the same amount mm-hmm. as a recruiting coordinator, I think that's a, a perfect spot for him because he is a good recruiter. Like he is very good at that. Has good ties. Around, but but another spot would be to to shift him over to special teams, um, an area mm-hmm. that I know hasn't necessarily lived up to things, and um, I know some people are still um, probably having some PTSD after that Packer game with special teams. <laughs> but really looking here, Mickey Turner played a, a ton of special teams for the Badgers, um, has has undoubtedly been involved with that in that role before, um, just because all of the coaches are involved in some component so moving him to be the special teams coordinator which probably would pay about the same as tight ends coach or maybe a slight bump up and then have switching herring to be your um, inside linebackers coach if they aren't sold on making it so that um, Bobby April God there's so many bobs um, ends up being uh, your total linebackers coach so I think those that's another way to kind of finesse this if you want Ingram to be a tight ends coach. But I I still do think that uh, there's a chance that um, Ingram ends up at wide receivers too, Mm -hmm. just because the bulk of his experience has been at wide receiver um, both as a player and as a coach. So I I think that's going to be the most interesting domino. I think everything is going to be finalized here in the next couple of days um, uh, in terms of Bobby Ingram. But I think the bigger thing is where are the dominoes from this? And, and how does that kind of get figured out? Because Paul Chris said in January he was going to spend time figuring out recruiting. He and, and he had to go about figuring out his coaching staff. It, it seems like coaching staffs getting to a point where you're getting closer you got to Mm -hmm. think recruiting department, some of those dominoes are going to hit as well. So I think this next week is going to be interesting once the um, Ingram news happens. Nothing official yet, uh, of course, but I I do think it's just a matter of time. Similar to what we said about Bob Bostad, um, this has just been going on for too long. I honestly think they had um, knowledge that they were going to offer the job to Ingram before they even posted that position. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you gotta, you know,
1: you cross your T's and dot your I's, and, and make sure everything's, um, you're going through the protocol and in process that way. But I think it, it, it's clear that they've had a top choice in mind, and we'll see how that, uh, how that shakes out, and and over the couple, next couple of days, hopefully everything gets finalized and locked down, and we'll see how the rest of these moves kind of shake out. All right, guys, that wraps up our coaching talk. Now we'll get into some depth chart talk, and today we're gonna focus in on the outside linebackers. And we'll talk a little special teams to round things out. When you look at the outside linebacker room, of course, one of these dominoes was, you know, Bobby April um, was the outside linebacker's coach. He's likely going to take over the entire uh, linebacker room based on these moves. And I think that will still prove um, to be a strong group overall. But this past year, in terms of play, we, of course, had a a great season from Nick Herbig. I think going into next year, he's going to be a guy that we look at and go, You know, remember remember at the start of last year with Leo Chenal and kind of the hype that he got early? I think you're going to see that same hype from Nick Herbig after another strong season from him. And then this past year, Noah Burks was a guy coming into fall and spring that said, okay, now's the time. He's a guy that's been with the program forever. He's put together some good seasons, but it's kind of drifted back. Can he get back to uh, a productive position at that outside linebacker spot? And I think he was a very underrated piece of this defense and played extremely well. So he's going to be a guy that will certainly be missed as they move forward. But overall, what did you make of the outside linebacker room and their performance this year?
0: I thought they played really well. I thought specifically Herbig. I thought he really turned it on, put together um, a really good sophomore campaign after his freshman year. I mean, it was, you figured he was going to take another step, but 14 and a half tackles for loss, nine sacks. Um, he, he played really well, um, tied with the team, even with two force fumbles, third on the team in tackles. Um, I, I think when you look at just how much Leo Chanel and Jack Sanborn um, kind of led this team, I think Nick Herbig was a guy who kind of got overshadowed at times, but really his ability to bend and come off the edge, I, I think is going to make him somebody that everybody's going to know about next year and maybe even a candidate to, to um, go off to the NFL early because I think that he put together such a good sophomore year that he can use that for a springboard. But then, yeah, Burks I thought was good. But then I also thought Wisconsin saw some development from guys behind them and and some depth there because you didn't have to have a guy like Herbig out there every snap. Um, And I thought that that played a big role as to why you saw Noah Burks and Nick Herbig play a little bit better. Obviously, a year, extra year, um, always was going to make a little more development for these guys. But I thought C.J. gets looked a little bit better. Um, he, had, he put together two sacks. Um, you saw a guy like uh, uh, Spencer Whitehall appear more healthy get some some good run as well so I I think Wisconsin's in a much better spot here um at outside linebacker than where they were a couple years ago when you were throwing Herbig in there as a true freshman I think you've got to feel a lot more comfortable now even with Burks leaving I I thought that overall this group did really good job and really that entire defense like I said I'm gonna have a hard time picking on anybody on this defense because they were so good and Mm -hmm. it's it's if, if if people are going to have a problem with the number one defense in the country, you know, you know, according to most metrics, then you're never going to be happy because I thought this group played phenomenal. Yeah, uh, I did as well. I think,
1: you know, Nick Herbig was a, a great leader of that group. But there was other guys around him that really stepped up. And now it's going to be interesting to see, of course, going into next year, kind of shifting the conversation. You'll have Nick Herbig back, again, a guy I think that, is going to get a, a ton of hype and all of a sudden he's going to have a, a huge year next year. He's going to be the candidate that a lot of people pick and look to. But besides that, you've got some real talent in this room. You've got Spencer Lytle, CJ Getz, the guy that physically has just been has been there and, and is a guy that seems to be able to make plays. And if he gets more opportunity, the more plays he's going to make. I think there's other guys. And Daryl Peterson was a guy that got some run out there. A really good frame on him that you could look to. I mean, even going back to, you know, a guy like TJ Bowlers was very highly recruited. Now he's going to be into his next year where he, where his jump kind of comes from. Could he be in a conversation there? And then you've got, you know, Caden Johnson, Aaron Witt is a guy that we've, when he's been out there and healthy, he's just kind of a physical presence that just kind of scares people because he's kind of got some nastiness to him that could be an impactful player. So there's a lot of guys in this room that, you at know, Noah Burks had a really good year and it's going to be tough to replace, but, there's some serious talent in this room that I think is going to be ready to take that next jump after you know a full off season, another full spring into fall. I think some of these guys that you know I just mentioned could be guys that really step up and, and give you something at that outside linebacker room. Whereups, and I don't think you worry as much when you've got the stable piece in Herbig, and you've got a ton of potential in you know a handful of different guys around him that can replace Noah Burks all of a sudden you, you feel like you've got a group there that can, that can keep that same level of production if not better uh next year
0: for sure I I think I think Herbig is going to be a big a big reason why this group will be just as good next year if not better um but opposite Herbig who who would be your best guess right now as to who the other starter will be? I'd probably go.
1: I'd probably go. Gets CJ Gets is a is the guy there. Spencer Lytle is very. I, I think that'd be you know going into spring. Those two would be a really competitive one. But we've seen we've seen a lot. Daryl Peterson get a lot of snaps and run when when there was openings there. And then like I mentioned, Aaron Witt is the guy. He's kind of the wild card, a guy that you never want to count out. But I think you know if you had odds on favorites. I think it'd be Lytle and who am I? CJ gets as your kind of favorites right now. With those other two, maybe being a little bit more of a long shot, but I really wouldn't be surprised any kind of direction this one goes. And I think that just shows the depth that, at this position and and the competition that's going to be there. Kind of going for you know five six guys could be going for really just one spot, and then your third you know third fourth rotation guys.
0: Yeah, I, think, I agree with you. I think Gets and Whiteo are going to get first cracks at it, um, just because they've been in the program a little longer um, and, and have done some good things. Specifically, Gets. I mean, those two mm-hmm. are the two that were in the two deep throughout the entire year. Like though, that's how they're uh, two deep looked at outside linebacker. But but I, I agree with you. I think Caden Johnson, four star kid played a bunch of special teams this past year. Is he somebody that uses that to kind of propel him into um, a role next season um, in the 2D? Uh, Daryl Peterson, we saw him get playing time early in the bowl game, um, Mm -hmm. which I thought was a little bit surprising um, after he hadn't played a whole lot in in his redshirt year. But then, yeah, I I do agree with you. The wild card or the the dark horse here is Aaron Witt. I I think – you saw what he can do late in 2020 before he got injured. That uh, strip sack he had against Wake Forest in the bowl game was a thing of beauty. Um, and, and just he he brings something completely different than anybody else in that linebacker room. You look at the linebacker room, and most of the guys are that 6'2", 6'3", range, where they're in the 230, 240 pounds, where you're, you're using um, speed and strength to, to kind of get there. Aaron Witt is 6'6", 250, and um, he is a a very physical player. Um, You know, he he was a guy that fits that Bob Bostad personality um, that wants to go out there and and hit you in the mouth. I think that Witt is somebody that, if he comes back healthy this spring, could easily end up being the the starter opposite Herbig, um, just because I do think he gives you a little – bit more um, ability to stop the run than some of the other guys, at least at this juncture. But then you also have somebody like Spencer Lytle, who I think is is your best at dropping into Mm coverage. So I think Wisconsin is going to use a couple different guys to replace Burks, because I think Burks was a a well-rounded player. He wasn't flashy, but he was Mm well-rounded. Whereas maybe you have a guy like Getz and Lytle and Witt um, kind of work interchangeably there because they each situationally can give you something different to help you out. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense and we'll see which one of these guys
1: can kind of get polished in those other areas to try and take on a bigger role. But for I would think early, you know, into spring and and early into fall, as these guys are competing that those three could certainly be a rotation type, you know, with Nick Herbig on the other side getting you know a bulk of the snaps. You don't want him off the field all that much. But it'll be a, a again a fun competition that'll be there at that outside linebacker position because you're likely got five guys competing um, for one consistent spot and then and then maybe some run in the rotation. So that should be a fun one to keep an eye on. All right, before we get out of here, guys, we'll talk a little special teams and the depth chart. I think when you look at special teams overall, um, I don't want to say it was all bad because I think you look at a guy like Andy Bucinavich was been really good as a punter. Kyle Marsh was consistent for the beginning of the season, kind of tapered off a little bit in the end of the season. Kickoffs, kick returns, punt returns, didn't really get much or, or feel great about any of those. So that's a, an area that you certainly want to get better at. But what did you make of the, the special teams group this past year?
0: Very uneven. Um, I, like you mentioned, I think Vuznovich was the guy that you were very happy about, Um I continue to say that he might go down. Um, I, I think Kevin Stemke is going to have all the awards. Brad Nortman is going to have the NFL career and that amazing fake punt against Iowa. But Vujnovic right now has a better average punt, right? He is he is punting really well, and I think he gets overlooked at times. I know he made the freak list and everything, but I do think that he is a a special punter for the Badgers, con- considering what they've had in, in recent years. Um, but – I agree. I think beyond that, I think you have to be happy with what you saw from Stefan Bracey later in the year when he got his chance at kick turn, because before that, it wasn't great. Um, kick return just was – there wasn't much that you were getting there. Punt return was probably the biggest nightmare of this group. It's just you, – you saw bad bounces. You saw bad approaches. You saw muffs. There was all sorts of different things happening back there, regardless of, of who they put. Um, so I think that would be the area of biggest concern, that and kickoff. But I, but I do think that they went in the offseason and went ahead and, and figured that out um, by saying, okay, well, Jack Van Dyke dealt with the injuries throughout the year. Um, Colin Larsh, he, he's he got the short-range field goals. He is not a kickoff guy. Um, so they brought in Vito Cal- Calvaruso. I think that he's going to push um, – Larsh in the kicking duties, and I think we'll see something similar to what we saw um, in 2019, where you've got somebody from deep, you've got somebody from short um, before Vito takes over. You know, once Larsh is done with his eligibility, but I I think that last this past year it was okay, um, but it, but there was definitely moments where you were, you were uh, pretty upset with how special teams were handled, um, in addition to the the whole punting thing against. Minnesota, which just kind of still leaves a bad taste in the mouth. Yeah, yeah.
1: There there certainly were times where it was not pretty with the special teams unit, and, and that's an area that will, <laughs> as Wisconsin fans know, as Packer fans know, if that's not tightened up, that can lose you football games um, in a lot of different ways because it's, it's a third area of the game, and it seems like some teams it's, it's overlooked. You hope that's not the case, and you know that it, it's probably not, but execution is so important in those areas and if you don't it can be a, a really a uh, backbreaker for a lot of different ways so i'm excited to see what sort of competition they can have at kicker next year like you mentioned with uh with Lars and Cal Russo uh, i think that's uh, a nice addition to that room at, in terms of in terms of looking at next year and, and, and punt return kick return whatever guy can kick it or excuse me catch it and and you don't have to worry about the fumbles, and it can hopefully give you at least something in sort of a return Great. I don't know who it's gonna be. I think some guys, you know, like had some promise and, and showed some potential there, but if I don't care if it's <laughs> I don't care if it's Braylon Allen, Chesman Lucy, any of those guys, if they're back there consistently can catch it and and give you a little bit of something, great. Let's see what they can do and, and I, I think Wisconsin will certainly work through that um, and, and see what you've got from a punter turner. And then as we mentioned, kickoffs Again, a, a part that's probably overlooked, but certainly something that I think this team could get better at. So going into next year, there's a lot of positions that we'll talk about in terms of competition and and to keep an eye on. But I think a main storyline of this offseason will be, can the special teams get things buttoned up to be just a more consistent, as long as – if it doesn't necessarily have to always be a positive play, but as long as you're avoiding those negatives that we've seen time and time again, I think that would be a, a huge win for this team in the offseason.
0: Absolutely, because I, I honestly don't see, other than kickoff, um, I really don't see anything depth chart-wise changing. Um, I think you're still going to have Vujnavic at punter. You're still going to have Colin Warsh handling inside of 40, mm. probably Calvaruso going 40-plus. Um, and, and then you're going to probably have Calvaruso um, kickoffs, long snapper, um, Peter Bowden. Once again, we didn't hear his name all year, which is a good thing. Yep. Um, um <laughs> Then you might have a new holder just because Connor Schlichting, who was a senior, is going to probably be gone. But then I'm guessing Dean Ingram gets um, first dibs at punt return. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like you mentioned, we want to see a little bit more from him, better decision-making at times. But then I think that Bracey earned the right to be your kickoff return guy um, after that that kickoff return for a touchdown. So, I think that you're you're hopefully going to see some better and more consistency for that position, but I think it's going to all also come down to is there new leadership there? Because um, if Mickey Turner bops over to special teams, it might he might have a different philosophy or a different way to approach it overall, which could be a good thing. Um, so I think special teams is going to be a an interesting one to watch, but I really don't think that there's going to be a lot of changes in way of the depth chart.
1: No, hopefully not too many changes, just hopefully some improvement from the play uh, overall, and we'll, we'll see a much better special teams unit. We can dream about that all off season. All right, guys, that wraps up another episode of the podcast. As always, thank you for listening. We'll be back with you later in the week on Wisconsin. Hello,